Welcome to the York County Economic Alliance podcast series. I'm Jason McSherry, and joining us today is Julie Poland, corporate coach and partner with Proactive Leadership Group. Julie, thank you for joining us today. It's wonderful to be here. Thank you. Uh, Proactive Leadership Group. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? I believe that uh, you are here locally, but this is a, a nationwide entity, correct? Proactive Leadership, Proactive Leadership Group is uh, a group of coaches. We're based in near outskirts of Boston, Massachusetts. I'm here in the Mid-Atlantic. We have a couple of coaches in Texas and one in California, we have clients all over the globe from China to the West to the Northeast. Um, so it's been really wonderful to have an opportunity to sharpen the saw with colleagues and also share resources as we're working with our respective clients in our markets. And how long have you been with Proactive? We've joined together almost three years ago now. I've been coaching for oh, let's just say a little more than 30 years. Um, so I've been working with companies in central Pennsylvania primarily, although I've got clients all over also. Um, and they've been everything over the years from mom and pop kinds of companies, where it's literally mom and or pop, to organizations that have been divisions of international firms that have been based here in York. Um, with Proactive, our goal is to serve the mid-market companies that are in revenues anywhere from, um, how do I want to say, they can smell $5 million in revenue and they're not there yet, to companies that are about $25 to $30 million in revenue, ones that are trying to scale, that are trying to grow. And, you know, even though we've been in the land of COVID during 2020, there are businesses that are not just surviving, they're businesses that are thriving in this market. Uh, a couple of my client companies can't find enough time in the day or enough people to do what they need them to do uh, because this has actually been a beneficial market for their particular type of business. So that's, that's what we do, that's what I get involved with. And with 30 years of experience in it, I, there's probably not too much that you haven't seen in some shape or form or another, uh, which is actually probably a really good segue then into what we're here to talk about a little bit today. And it's um, how do companies, large, small, uh, regardless of their size, retain their top tier employees? Um, you know, I imagine you're seeing a lot of turnover in the industry right now. Um, yes and no. It really depends on where they are. But what I am finding is that the companies that are growing are having a hard time finding the people that they want and they need. Um, a lot of the jobs that have been sacrificed by companies have been uh, in production roles and some of those frontline positions where if business slows down, they're the first to go. Um, in the, in the companies that I've been working with, my focused attention has been on the leadership team. And in those cases, what COVID has created is a situation where you can't just skate along. You can't just continue to operate in the groove that you've been operating on for years. You need to think of new ways of doing things. You need to uh, innovate. You need to uh, figure out how to 
conserve your resources or redirect them so that they can be optimized. And you need your top brains in order to get that, that thing done. You know, it, it, it's fascinating when you talk about the whole management of talent because it's it gets down to the company culture. Um, and what's the kind of environment where the movers and shakers want to be, where they can find a lot of satisfaction in their work from day to day? You know, there's there's been a lot of conversation in the news also over the last year, year and a half about living wage. And, you know, if you pay people more money, they will stay. Um, I don't think that has to do as much with top performers as it is for people who are not currently receiving a living wage. Um, people don't cross the street to work for another employer for the money. Most cases, money is only an issue when it's a substitute for something else, when it's a stand-in for having work that one likes, uh, having a sense of purpose, uh, being in an environment where you feel motivated and inspired rather than you know, have to, having somebody's thumb on your thumb on your back and controlling your every move. Places where you can grow and uh, experiment and mess up without worrying that you're going to be um, in a heap of trouble for doing that all to try and help the company move forward. That's what top performers are really looking for. You unpacked a lot right there. Um, and I have a lot of questions to, to kind of just go off of that. But I think first, let's, um, when we talk about like employees that, that move to another company or another position and leave from an employer's side, that is that is very disruptive and, and costly, correct? I mean, you, you probably have a lot of trouble maintaining your operations and advancing as, as a business if you're constantly having this type of turnover, um, which goes to that corporate culture that you were talking about. Yes, you have the cost of the search, you have the, the downtime when you have the vacancy, uh, and then you have the ramp up time. It can be multiples of that person's annual salary in actual cost to the company and disruption to the company. Um, you know, what I'd like to, to talk about for a minute, if it's okay, is you know, how does one go about creating the kind of environment where people want to stay? Um, how, what do you go about doing that? So um, if you don't want people to leave, <laughs> they don't generally leave their jobs, by the way, they generally leave their boss. So it's, it's an issue of how do you become the kind of leader that attracts other leaders? Somebody told me one time, if you have leadership on a scale of one to 10, 10 is like the optimal leader that everybody just follows and adores and would stick with, they'd follow, follow them over the edge of a cliff if they needed to. Um, scale of one to 10, if you've got a leader that's a 10, look about two points behind and those are the people that are following the leader. So a leader that's an eight on a scale of 10 is probably only going to be able to keep level six leaders. And a leader that's a level six leader is probably going to have a difficult time keeping anybody that's higher than a level four. Um, so if you want to know how a leader is in, in effectiveness, look at the people that follow them. Um, that will give you a clue. Now, um, part of part of what makes a good leader is the structure of the organization from a, a strategy standpoint. Do people have 
a sense of purpose? Has the leader given a, a direction for their every day as well as the big picture? Um, also, uh, does the leader communicate about what their expectations are? Um, but there are also leaders that have fabulous intentions and they've got a sense of direction, but they have a difficult time letting go. Um, the companies in the category that I work with are oftentimes companies where the CEO or the president is one who's been there from the beginning, they might've been the content expert when the company first started. So as they start to build out their team, there's this whole letting go process that needs to happen. That is very, very difficult for some leaders to do. And if they can't let go, if they can't turn themselves kind of in a multiplier, they might have top talent, but they're only using 60%, 50%, 40% of the resources that person could potentially bring to the company. That sounds kind of like you're talking about maybe a leader that is a, a working leader or someone who micromanages. And they could be really great at what they do, but it, it sounds like they it's possible that their leadership skills might not be the best and then they're not getting the best out of their employees. Am I understanding that right? Um, yes, that, that is a big part of it. Um, some working leaders stay working leaders longer than they should be working leaders. Um, there are some business, and, and this, this lower end of the mid-market category is right in there. Um, they need to be thinking about having a COO. They need to be thinking about having O, being the point person for the finances, the day-to-day and all that sort of thing. Um, so here's here's what they do instead, and see if you see if you recognize any of these personalities from your own experience. Okay, uh, let's we'll call them two categories. One is a multiplier, and that's the person that pulls out talent from their organization. They see what somebody can do. Um, the other thing, the other person would be called a diminisher. They're the ones that get the 40, 50, 60% of the mental capacity in their, in their organization. So one version of this diminisher, and most of them are not on purpose. It's all accidental. They don't realize what they're doing is, is creating this uh, restriction on the brain power that they're using in their company. So the idea guy um, or gal, this is gender neutral, <laughs> uh, but the idea person is constantly, uh, they have ideas and they want to stimulate the thinking of other people. And they're like, well, what about this? What about that? Here's a shiny thing. Here's another shiny thing. And the other people behind them in the organization are getting ADD because they don't know what they're supposed to focus on, nor do they have enough time to focus on any one thing. Uh, so sometimes they'll just like shut down and wait for the idea du jour to pass or the flavor of the month. I'm sure some of you have heard flavor of the month. Um, there's the person that's always on where if you are in a meeting, the boss won't be quiet long enough to get anybody else's view. They're just spewing at the leadership team. It's very frustrating for somebody who's got ideas and expertise and and brains. Um, here's another one for you. And I'm going to stop for a minute and see if you have a question in a minute, Jason. But here's one. There's the rescuer. 
Um, and I have to say, I don't know that I've done this at work, but I know I've done this at home with my children and these minimizer, uh, diminisher kinds of behaviors cross the line between work and outside of work. Big company, small company. Um, the rescuer, the rescuer will give someone a job and then take it back before they have the chance to actually do it. Well, so, I, I think I can identify with most, if not all of those categories that you mentioned, um, maybe <laughs> even guilty of a few of them myself, um, which actually probably leads right into my question is like, if you're a leader, how do you, how do you pull back and say, am I a multiplier or a diminisher? Um, but before we get into the multiplier side and, and what that is and how you can do that, but I guess the, the biggest thing is how do you determine if you're a diminisher? Well, this is actually kind of fun and it's free. There's a company called the Wiseman Group, W-I-S-E-M-A-N, and you can go to the Wiseman Group's website and they have an accidental diminisher free tool that you can take. It's a quick test uh, so that you can identify what uh, accidental diminisher characteristics you might exhibit. Um, a lot of times diminishing traits are self-identified. People are like, oh, I know I do that. <laughs> Sometimes they know. Um, as a matter of fact, there's, there's actually an emerging section in my practice that's gonna be devoted specifically to this issue um, because regardless of strategy, if people, if people don't have that kind of working environment, that's all about the people that are in the working environment. So we can actually help CEOs become multipliers of multipliers. Like we can teach them strategies to help them. For instance, um, let's talk about the person that's always on. They have a really hard time shutting down their own input into a meeting. Um, one of the strategies that's suggested for this kind of diminisher behavior is to, well, there are two of them. One is to play fewer chips. So imagine you, you're the leader, you allow yourself five poker chips in the course of a meeting, five major pieces of input. And at the end of those five pieces of input, you're done. So it's a way to keep yourself uh, reeled in. The other thing that you can do is give the team 51% of the vote so that you're not overpowering the team you're giving the team the opportunity to have an influence over what happens. So those are just some examples of how a CEO can, through his or her behavior, set a tone that helps the top people wanna stay because they're contributing, they're getting meaning out of their work. So when you're trying to do this as a leader, how do you balance that with maybe direction that you have from higher up in your organization and saying, well, this is what our, our strategy and our goal is. How do you balance bringing in that creativity with your employees to make them feel engaged, but at the same time, make sure that you're following the, the strategy that you have organizationally? Yeah, there are relationships that need to be established and, and put in a productive way at all levels of the organization. That's one of the reasons why when I'm working in organizations, I'm almost always attempting to start from the top um, because 
generally, if a CEO is seeing behavior that they don't want to see, it's something that they're modeling. They just are not aware that they're modeling it. Now, that said, if you look at the mid-manager, the mid-manager might have a decree from above. However, a mid-manager, if they have a decree from above for a certain outcome, they can provide some latitude if they're willing to take a little bit of a risk. They're, they're able to create some latitude so that, Jason, if you're a person who communicates best by writing and somebody else communicates best by speaking, if your boss lets you do your writing thing and lets that person do their speaking thing, that's going to help you to feel like you're contributing in your way and using your strengths. Even if you're both working on a goal that someone else has established higher up in the organization. So you can be a multiplier, even if you're not the top guy or gal. Okay. When I've talked, when I've worked with frontline leaders over the years, one of the things that they find surprising is that people are watching them. They are listening to them and they are modeling off of them. Um, leader, people listen to what words, word choices there are. They notice whether people are on time for work. They notice whether people speak in negative or positive terms toward upper management. Um, and so sometimes they don't realize what the impact is that they're having on the work environment even at a frontline level. Um, the other piece of this though, is that if you wanna to retain top talent and you know that your behavior as a leader is one of the issues that's gonna help that or harm that, um, it's not a matter of making a decision on one day and saying, no longer am I gonna be a diminisher, I am now committing to being a, a multiplier. Um, it's a matter of identifying what are the specific things that you do what are the things that trigger those diminishing behaviors, those accidental diminishing? Nobody wants to be a diminisher on purpose. <laughs> I just need to reinforce that. Uh, everyone comes to the workplace with good intentions, has no desire to screw things up when they come to work. Um, but you have to bring it down to those individual situations that tend to get that behavior going and then develop alternative strategies to get a different outcome. We can measure that from the beginning to the end and see whether um, through the 60, 360 interviews or 360 diagnostics, we can determine whether there is a change in leadership behavior that's going to be more conducive to keeping top people. Now, if I can I take a left turn here for a second? Because there's something else that I want to be sure that we talk about. Absolutely. And that is with top talent, top talent does not like hanging out with mediocre talent. And well, now that seems kind of, how do you, how do you address that? Because I'm thinking, you know, you have, uh, you have a good melting pot in, in your workforce. So how do you, uh, how do you handle that? Well, one of the things that uh, I've seen over the years and years that I've been working with companies and company leadership is leaders are not doing enough to address A players versus B players versus C players in their companies. They better not have anybody that's not at least a C player in their company. And frankly, C players should be on an improvement plan or be helped to exit the organization because there's 
probably either a severe skill deficit or more likely there's a values gap. So here's what I would prescribe in this situation on a quarterly basis, leadership team or leader, if they're in a small company, it might just be one, one or two people, needs to be looking at each person in the organization and saying, what is their alignment with the values of the company? What is their uh, level of productivity? So you kind of do it like two parts of an axis. Your vertical axis would be their, their values alignment. The horizontal axis would be their productivity. So your A players are aligned with your company values and they're highly productive. Your A minus and B plus players are ones that are aligned with your values, but they might need some training in their skills in order to ramp up. Uh, your B minus into C players, chances are you could have somebody in your organization that's a toxic genius. You shouldn't let them be there. They're a C player because they're not in alignment with your values. Um, this should be done quarterly so that the organization is working toward having an organization of A and B plus players. Um, many times when I've been asked to come in in a um, fix this person scenario, which is not the kind of work a, a coach likes to do because the remedial person knows that they're a remedial person and that makes them feel defensive. Um, when we talk about what was their last performance review like, they're like, it was fine. So their leader wasn't telling them about all the little things over the year that uh, cropped up. They didn't tell them at the time and they're certainly not saving it up till the end of the year. So what ends up happening is you've got C players that are allowed to bounce along and languish and worse, consume the time and energy of the leaders because they're going around sweeping up um, rather than helping their A players develop and, you know, get superpowers. So basically you're saying that, you know, probably us, you probably put a lot of your energy as a leader into probably the C players as you put them and less energy into your top players. Whereas the flip side is, is you want to be able to put in the energy in those top players to multiply their effect and what they're doing and not be spending so much time on those C players, which isn't really providing anything productive. Exactly. And you know, when we're talking about the multiplier thing and the accidental diminishing behaviors, imagine if you have a tendency to be a rescuer if you've got C players, you may think you need to rescue them because you might have to rescue them <laughs> instead of fixing the issue and getting somebody in there that can do the job. Um, and it sounds ruthless, but if people aren't able to cut it, they know they're not cutting it. You're not doing them a favor by letting them languish somewhere where it's not a good fit for you or a good fit for them. All right. So now, interesting question. So let's say you're successful at identifying your A, B, and C players, and <clears throat> you effectively develop your workforce, your, your team into A and B players. 
I think this will get back to probably our initial item at hand. If you've got a team of A and B players, there's probably a lot of other employers out there that would love to have them on their team. How do you make sure you keep those A and B players and don't lose them to somewhere else? It depends on your philosophy as a leader. You know, there are some leaders whose philosophy is, I grow top talent, and then I help them move on. Because there are certain roles where if somebody's extremely talented, you do, the, you do them no favors or your company no favors by keeping them in a role that constrains them. Uh, you may not have the opportunity in your company that that person needs or deserves. Um, now, that may sound contradictory to the retaining top talent, but think of it in this way. If your company is a proving ground for top talent, who's going to want to come work there? Top talent in training. Um, it, it, it may sound contradictory, but there are some leaders out there that fall into the trap of giving people only amount of information they think they need, or they don't want to give them authority because they're worried about losing them. Well, they'll actually lose them faster if they don't give them more headroom. So if you have the kind of culture, if you have the kind of leadership relationship with these folks where together, and if they have an opportunity for interesting projects, some say in where the company's headed and how the company's going to get there, they're going to be wearing the company underwear. You know, they're going to want to stay there and grow it together as a powerful team. And to me, that's like the ideal scenario. You get your top players together with a leader who gives them headroom, they develop a general direction and you can't stop them. Their options are limitless. And it's an interesting uh, side that you put there too on the, if you do happen to lose some folks because they step up into another opportunity that essentially you're growing your company reputation so that you're continuing to attract others of a similar caliber. Um, I guess to put it like in the sports adages, it's kind of like the New York Yankees where everybody wants to be a New York Yankee. Uh, it doesn't matter which team you are. And if they happen to lose somebody and you have an opportunity to be a Yankee, you're going to, you're going to pull on the, the biggest names in the sports industry, the biggest names in baseball. Exactly. Um, what we call it is your virtual bench. Uh, you might have people that are in your recruitment pipeline that work for somebody else right now. They don't have to come into the bottom of your company and work their way up. If they know about you and uh, your reputation precedes you, um, that makes you a desirable employer and those folks are going to want to come work there. Exactly. I would choose not the Yankees. I would choose anybody but the Yankees. <laughs> but I understand your point. <laughs> it, believe me, it pained me to say that I'm an Orioles fan myself. So um, I am quite envious of the Yankees often stealing my players. So. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> but for this, it was a, a probably a good analogy. Absolutely. Absolutely. Spot on. Spot on. All right, so I know that we've only got a couple more minutes here um, just to be mindful of your time. Um, 
Are there any other tips or tricks that you would probably say that a, a leader um, or an owner or a company itself should, should keep in mind or think about when they're trying to evaluate how they're retaining uh, their employees and their talent? Um, and I know that we're probably about to head into uh, the new year here. And historically, I guess the, the early part of a the year, there's often a lot of times that people do jump around. So it's a perfect time for pe- employers to be like looking at their um, organization and trying to figure out what they need to do to retain their top tier talent. This may be a bias on my part, but I think that right now, Um, We're talking the beginning of December, you and I, um, 2020. Right now is the time for leaders to be planning where they want their company to head. Because um, where they want to be from a big picture perspective in 10 years, where they want to be in three years or so in order to move in that direction, and what do they need to do in that next year. All of that really should precede how they're viewing, how they're deploying their people, and are they going to grow their staff? Do they need to contract their staff? It starts with your strategy and a structure for executing on that strategy in the new year. Um, Because if you have top players on your team and they know where you want to head, that gives them an idea of whether they want to be on this bus or not on this bus. Uh, If Every day is the same old, same old. Your top people are going to get bored with that. You know, it, do you remember, well, you're probably too young to remember that commercial. The, the guy sits up at four o'clock in the morning and says, time to make the donuts. Um, I wish I was too young to remember that. But. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, that's, that's one of those things where that's the attitude that a lot of people have about their work. They're not engaged. And that's if they're top players or even in the middle of the stack in terms of performance in a company. So so establishing a direction and sharing that direction so that heaven forbid your employees should help you get there, um, sharing what that is helps to keep people engaged, which helps your top people stay with you. So, and then if you wanna add to staff, If you're really doing a detailed job of planning, then you're going to be projecting, okay, where are we going to be in revenue? Where are we going to be in number of customers? What does that mean we need to do in terms of ramping up production or number of people available to do service or locations, et cetera? All that stuff informs how you want to handle the staffing in your company. Perfect. Um, As I said, I know we're coming up towards the end of our time here. So I just want to hit real quick. Uh, you had mentioned a great resource earlier. I just wanted to revisit that. Um, it was the quiz to, that you can take to, to determine if you're a diminisher or have diminishing traits as a leader. What was that uh, location again, or the name of the? Thewisemangroup.com, W-I-S-E-M-A-N group.com. They have an accidental diminisher uh, quiz on there. That is totally free. Um, There's also a book that's been written by Liz Wiseman called Multipliers. So that if a leader is really interested in understanding more about diminishers and multipliers and the impact of those two things, they can do that. 
Um, and, you know, if they are really intent on uh, creating multipliers in their organization, we can help them do that. Um, Proactive's involved directly with the Wiseman Group in helping to do multiplier-based coaching for executives so they can help to create the climate that keeps top people engaged. And that was the perfect lead into my next question, which was, how can people get in touch with you and the proactive group uh, to, if they want to explore some of these options further, take a look at how they can um, make their company take that next step? Sure. Well, you can reach out to me by email, julie at resultsimproved.com. Um, and our website address is resultsimproved.com. That's for the, the uh, proactive leadership group. And uh, check that out. I'm happy to talk to, uh, talk to someone if they're just kind of exploring ideas. Um, there are also a couple things that I can do for companies that want to uh, do an overall assessment of their organizational health. That's a complimentary thing that I can do for their company so that they can kind of see, you know, I know I want to work on some stuff, but what's the most important for me to pay attention to right now? Um, that's something else that, that we can help them do. Well, I want to thank you once again, Julia. I know we're up against our time limit here. Um, this has been a lot of amazing information and it's so perfectly timed um, with everything going on with COVID. Either your business is going through the roof and thriving or you're probably looking to gear back up in a new normal in post-COVID. And this is a great time to kind of take a look at these things and figure that out. And um, you've shared a lot of great tips um, and hopefully we have some uh, some some of our listeners reaching out to, to you to talk a little bit more about how they, you can help their companies. Um, just want to thank you once again for joining us and we appreciate your time and look forward to having you back uh, in the near future. You're welcome. Thanks. It's been great talking with you today, Jason. Have a lovely holiday season. Thanks so much, Julie.